Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You know, the older I become, the more experienced I become, the more um transparent i'm invulnerable and aware of my frailties and my shortcomings it's it's, it's very empowering hmm. you know it's very empowering when i look at my insecurities kanye said in the song everything i'm not makes me everything i am you know the the longevity hmm. is, has become a premium yeah because I, I think you probably go through a few maybe in your 40s more vulnerable years and then you go hang on this wisdom yeah. Well, I'm turning it into cash. You know, saying it's yeah. my career. Yeah. Who would have thought that, you know, hip hop would take me here? <laughs> Welcome to the Movember podcast. I'm your host, Adam Garoni, one of the co founders of the Movember Foundation. On this show, our goal is to talk about the real shit. Well, there's no one better to do that with us than Reggie Osei. For this season of the Movember podcast, we're featuring candid conversations about handling and sometimes not handling life's challenges and life's changes. I wanted to have Reggie on because of his podcast, Combat Jack and Mogul. He's interviewed activists, writers, exonerated criminals and hip hop stars. But with every person, he's always trying to get inside someone's perspective. So I wanted to ask Reggie about his many career and ultimately identity transitions he's gone through, from lawyer to blogger to now podcast host. I sat down and spoke with Reggie in New York and wanted to start from the beginning. You know, we're roughly the same age right. and, you know, I grew up in Melbourne, Australia. I, I wanted to start with, what was it like growing up here, in, well, in Brooklyn? Um, you know, there was this point... Um, you know, when I was really young where, you know, I grew up in Crown Heights, the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, and it was pretty much um, working class. Um, you know, you felt family and, and friends, and it was just, it was really like any other, growing up, growing up in any other place. I didn't feel at the time that I wanted for anything. And then as I got older, you know, things start changing, and most of the kids on my block, we were all the same age. But as we, as we, as we ventured into the 90s, you know, you started seeing subtle changes, you know, a couple of my friends here and there. We grew up, you know, playing football in the street and tag and all of those things. And then as we got older, kids started looking to, to get into other things. I was very fortunate that um, I was always a nerd. So I was into comic books and education, <laughs> you know. But a lot of my, my peers, they, they, they went a darker path. And um, I grew up in a, a single uh, parent household, just my mom. So, you know, just how do I identify myself? 
as a man, as a black man, particularly. Did, did you have any father figures in your life? Any any older um, male role models? At the time, no. I mean, I was always pretty cool with my uncles, but in terms of like just really getting, you know, just solid advice, you know, solid solid guidelines, how to move, you know, how to, you know, how to feel confident. I, I didn't have that. I just had to figure it out on my own. And so I just remember this one pivotal time where. I think it was like about a month or so where I was just really considering, do I get a gun or not? You know, Mm. just because. To protect yourself. Just to protect myself Mm. because it was the thing that most of my friends had at the time. And it was just like, well, why shouldn't I have one? This is a very different mentality, you know, from where I'm from in Australia. But, you know, I hear this in LA where I live. And it's, you don't want to be the only person on the block Without a gun. Yeah, what's wrong if, with me? If, if, if shit goes down. Yeah, you, you, what's wrong with me, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone else, like am I out of touch? Yeah. Wow. You know, and but fortunately, you know, fortunately I realized that at a young age I had the wherewithal or the foresight to realize that that wasn't me. And, um, you know, stuck to my guns of being a nerd and, 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 and really focusing on my education. And then eventually that, that took me outside of the hood. That took me to, you know, Ithaca, New York, Cornell University, and it took me to Georgetown. That's what my environment was like every time I would come home, but I was very insulated. After attending Cornell and Georgetown Law, he became an entertainment lawyer and represented some of the biggest names in the music industry, like Jay-Z and Damon Dash. But he got tired of the pace and pressure, and in 2005, Reggie started a new life as a blogger under the alias Combat Jack. I want to understand the origin of that name. Okay. In the process of writing my book, my co-author, Gabe Tolliver, who's like this big military nut, um, just buff, not nut, buff, (laughs) military buff. At the time, he was reading a brand new novel entitled Generation Kill, which was like about the first tour of duty of Afghanistan post 9-11. He was telling me about it, and he was like, yo, it is this one chapter, Combat Jack. And the minute he said Combat Jack, I kind of saw this vision of, like, Captain America. Like, you know, just like, you know, coming from the the comic book world and, you know, just being a geek and the whole nine. So he starts to explain the whole concept of Combat Jack or Combat Jacking. (laughs) And um, in the heat of battle or, or like, in the most dire moments of, of life or death situations, these guys would jerk off. And get like this heightened sense of relief or, 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 or whatever the hell, you know, and they call it combat jacking. So a lot of, a lot of my listeners are like, what? <laughs> but so um, it's, once, this is where hip hop plays a role in my life. Hip hop is very combative. Hip hop, you know, is a, is a blood sport. It's a, you know, full body contact sport. And, and at the time, I was like, if I'm going to blog, I've got to have the attitude of a rapper. You know, because you had, like, I, there were so many people at that time. It was like this golden age of, like, hip-hop blogs, 2005, 2006. So many amazing bloggers. And I was like, if I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, I've got to be the illest rapper. I've got to be the illest. My pen has to be ill. And so I kind of envisioned, like, in rap, battle, you know, you're going to write your blog post. And this is all in fun because at the time, the community, even though we were very competitive, we were all very supportive. I viewed myself and my peers as like this new generation Mm. of rappers. So if I'm going to rap and if I'm going to be in the heat of battle and you guys are shooting your bullets at me and I'm shooting my bullets at you, this means nothing to me. I will jerk off on all of you as I write (laughs) the greatest prose on a daily basis. And that is the origin of the name Combat Jack. Escape it. Escape it. Get ready for combat. 
you said um, about the blog that you felt when you were in the industry that you couldn't talk about you your weaknesses. You couldn't talk about it. You, well, you couldn't talk about your weaknesses. You couldn't talk about the weaknesses. You couldn't talk, hmm. you know, because everything is relationships and everything is based on, you know, how loud are you speaking? How well do you play the game? How, you know, how accurate do you toe the line? So you couldn't. Like I remember just at the at one time when I was like when my sometimes when we had the two way Motorola pages and I remember I would start gushing about an album like MOP's um, Warriors which I thought was an amazing album and I'm like gushing about how amazing this album is as a rap fan and some jackass is like well you're an attorney you really shouldn't be critiquing music I was like who the fuck are you to tell me but that was kind of like the you know like you just be quiet towards my last days in the music industry I felt um, very uninspired. I felt um, very unhappy, very lost, um, and just very heavy. And I never personally considered suicide, but there were times where, you know, just the responsibilities at home, responsibilities in the office, there was no way out. There was just no way out. And there were many times where I would put on my suit and I would start walking to the subway station and I would say, listen, I pray that today's the day that the, 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 the truck hops the curb and takes me out of my misery. Like, I remember speaking to my peers, and I'm like, yo, I, I need a vacation. Mm. I need a break. And they'd be like, we're making money. Like, what are you talking about? What's wrong with you? Like, we need to make more money. You don't rest in hip-hop. You don't rest in this game. You hustle. And there's no stopping this. Yeah, because there's these traditional aspects of masculinity. Yes. And that, you know, we, you know, our generation were conditioned, um, like our fathers, to to be the providers, to always be in control, never vulnerable. Don't show emotion. Don't talk about your emotion. And that can have a really negative impact when, you, when you're struggling because you've got to create this facade and project that out. And I can only imagine. And how do you in, project that facade to yourself? Yeah. You know, I remember, and I, I don't mean to, um, you know, jump off track, but I remember significant, significantly um, this one, um, and it was January 1st. And um, we were all having, like, their annual gumbo, like, this palatial, like, estate and just, like, just wealth and, you know, new wealth in the music industry. Some very uber black executives in the music industry, very, very, very successful. And so we're all joking, and, you know, one of the guys is like, what did you guys do earlier today? And I was like, well, I spent two or three hours really just writing the things that I needed to change in my life for this year, like, you know, like, quote-unquote, a resolution. Mm. And everyone in the room was like, two hours? Like, you what's wrong with you? You know, there's always room for, I don't care how successful you are. There's always room for, mm. you know, improvement. So if you guys don't see any room for improvement, what, what's wrong with y'all? Yeah. It's, it's happiness versus wealth as yes. well. Yes. And, and it must've been a really pivotal moment to A, recognize that and then B, to go, I'm going to totally shift careers from, from being an attorney and a lawyer in the hip hop industry to being a blogger. Which, you know, to be... Who does that? You, you've done degrees. You, you, you're working for a practice. You've built a clientele. I've got now, kids yeah. to feed. Right. And now you're going to go and be a blogger, which anyone can do and start now, overnight, right. without any, any income. Right. And, and somehow break out of that. You know, I'm very fortunate in that in my early 20s, I became a practicing Buddhist. Mm -hmm. And it was just a paradigm. It was like, you know, really, at the end of the day, what is relative happiness? And what is true happiness? Like money can't buy you happiness. And if you trust your faith and if you trust, you know, the importance of your individual life, 
in this universe, then you will do anything possible to achieve achieve complete happiness. And at a certain point, I was like, I, I, I don't give a fuck about this anymore. I will walk away from everything. You know, I'll jeopardize me and my family going homeless. I have to be happy. Mm. No, I can, I can totally relate to that. Having you know, founded Movember and now worked in charity. You, you're not, that's not a path to become rich. Right. It's just not. But I always say how I value currency is in happiness. And in doing this, seeing the impact that it's having and being surrounded by people like yourself in this conversation now, that sense of fulfillment gives you so much happiness that, you know, a fancy watch or a new car or whatever it is you use. And I love my fancy watches. I <laughs> loved, I've got, you know, you know, when I wound down my practice, I sold my fancy watch. It's one of my goals. I've got to get at least one of my fancy watches back. But it's ironic. I read a tweet earlier today, this morning, and it said, real wealth is being to acquire something that money can't buy. So simple. To give people a feel for the uh, Combat Jack show, I'm going to play a segment um, with an interview you did with uh, uh, Raymond Santana. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Raymond Santana uh, was a, one of the members of the uh, Central Park Five. I'm um, in the late 1980s. Um, there was a group of uh, young men, um, all uh, black or Hispanic, brown and black, um, and they were accused of this horrendous crime that took place in Central Park, um, the brutal assault and subsequent ra- rape of a, uh, a white woman. And um, at the time, um, these kids were in the center of what was dubbed the crime of the century. And um, these kids just are automatically being judged guilty, you know, with, with no fair trial. And over the years, um, you know, it, it, it comes out in the light that these kids were innocent and that they were railroaded and that they were, you know, mentally tortured in terms of like um, pleading guilty to these crimes. And they were so young, like 14, 15, and thrown into like, you know, the, the, the deepest recesses of, like, Rikers Island and the damage that it caused them and them coming out and, and being so hard for them to rehabilitate their lives. That's all the effects that, from, that come from prison that I was feeling comfortable. I would sit in my room because it was the size of a cell. Right. And I would close the door, and it wasn't until my father said, yo, why are you always staying in your room? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're always in your room. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, and I would go in the shower with my boxes on, and I would wash them in the shower and hang them shits up. Right. And and then I had this pent up aggression, you know. If I'm in a room with a crowd, a bunch of people, I watch everything moving, and I put my back against the wall, and, and I, I I scan the whole room. I see what's going on. That peripheral. That's right. I'm always on point. Were you going out like to clubs now? Or nah, none of that. You, you, there was none of that. Never. Like, there was none of. There was no clubs. None. Of, I mean. My boys and me, they took me out the first time. Yo, but after that, it was done. I had you, a seven you, o'clock curfew. Yeah, but you didn't like it either, right? Nah, like, you know and. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what, what to do. And that's when I started to stumble, yeah. you know, because there was no transitional program. You had no money. No money. No money. There so was, you couldn't, you, were, you, you, were you buying comic books? Nah. Couldn't, that was I, just that done. Time, gone. That was gone. Gone. And, and, but, you know, it would resurface. Right. Like I say, let's say I'm by the storm. Oh, should I used to read that? I'll right. pick one or two up. But overall, I couldn't get back to that. That drive was gone. So, you know, their stories had been told so many times and many interviews about them and so many stories about them. And I was like, I doubt no one's ever talked to them about their lives before their lives were dramatically, you know, dramatically 
change. So like, what music did they listen to? Who were their favorite MCs? You know, where did they get their clothes from? Like, what was What did they wear? What did they wear? Like, how was the, you know, even though they were young, like, you know, trying to add that sense of humanity that we all ignored because it was already lost to them at such an early age. So that was one of my favorite, favorite episodes. Recently, Reggie hosted the first season of the podcast Mogul, which is all about the life and death, fame and infamy that surrounded the hip-hop talent manager, Chris Lighty. You know, I had heard of Chris Lighty even before I got in the music industry. Um, when I was in law school and hearing like the Jungle Brothers or, you know, early um, Tribe Called Quest, and they, you'd hear all these references to baby Chris. Um, and then coming into the industry and, you know, focusing on my career and hearing about Chris Lighty, you know, being this amazing manager at Def Jam. Chris Lighty, you know, starting this violator management company and, and record company, and then meeting Chris Lighty on several occasions and, like, this, this tall, handsome, unapproachable, like, unreadable character, but you knew he was solid in the game. You knew that he was successful in the game. You knew that um, if your clients, there were several times when some of my clients were like, yo, I think Chris Lighty wants to sign me. You knew that that was, you know, your client was headed in the right direction. This is a guy that was uber successful, um, leaving the industry and still reading about how, you know, um, he continued to, to break expectation and norm with like the, the, the 50 cent vitamin water deal. This guy was, you know, the, like, you know, you look at, 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 at Russell Simmons, you look at Lior Cohen, you look at, at Dr. Dre or Jimmy Iovine, you look at Diddy, arguably one of the best who's ever done it. And, you know, in my generation, you look at Lighty, he's from that same cut. He's from that, he's cut from that same cloth. And then five years ago, you hear about, his suicide, and you're like, what the fuck? Hmm. How does that, how, does how, that do you, how do you rationalize that? Yeah, how do you rationalize that? You know, from the outside looking in, this guy had everything. But then me from coming from the industry, knowing like, yeah, I kind of, you know, particularly. You, you sort of got to that point in your career where, you know, probably the people around you looked at you on surface and thought you're very, very successful in, in your chosen profession in the hip-hop industry. What more could you want for? career-wise, right? When I would talk to my peers and, and even, you know, suggest that I want it out, they're like, you're crazy. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to get a job? You've never had a job. What are you going to do? It's like, you're going to blog. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't even a possibility then, you know, just, you know, it, it was a five-year process of me really deciding at a certain point that I was going to jump ship. But it was a process of like, let me see what this friend feels. And like, are you kidding me? Like, what are, you, what are you thinking? You know, just, just, just stay the course, man. You know, man up. That's what I kept hearing, man up. Man up. And at a certain point, I couldn't do it. And knowing that, huh, there was a, a certain point in Chris's life where he wasn't happy. Do you per- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, 
you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I suddenly feel more comfortable now, you know, talking about, you know, how you're feeling, you know, more comfortable seeking help and recognizing some of those things because of, you know, probably experience, but also really diving into to Lighty's life and, and, you know, that tragedy. You know, there's a saying that this kind of comedic, comedic kind of saying that kind of, uh, um, champions like uh, those those uh, negative aspects of patriarchy in the black community. We say, "I'm a grown ass man, dog." You know what I'm saying? So, like, if somebody questions you, like, "Like, I'm a grown ass man, dog." You know. But the flip side is, you know, the older I become, the more experienced I become, the more um, um, transparent I'm, invulnerable, um, and aware of my frailties and my shortcomings. It's it's, it's very empowering. Hmm. Uh, we're going to hear a clip from your most recent uh, podcast series, The Mogul, which you got a particularly vulnerable uh, Fat Joe to open up. Tell me about that. Oh, man. You know, Fat Joe, first and foremost, Fat Joe, um, I would, like, this guy is one of the greatest storytellers. This impenetrable, like, alpha male. So, you know, we're doing this story about Chris Lighty, and, and then Fat Joe opens up about how he himself, after the death of his pro- protege um, and close friend, um, Big Pun, after the death of his friend, um, he fell into, you know, a form of depression where he couldn't get out of bed. And he just, he's so visceral about it. And, you know, he's talking about the agony and the pain and the loneliness and the darkness, darkness and this endless sense of hope, hopelessness. And this is Fat Joe. I was depressed for two years, seeing psychiatrists, I never thought of killing myself, but I know that's, it's a hard fight. It's a hard walk. It's a hard fight. Like, I fought it for two years, man. You know, when you come out and it's 90 degrees and the sky looks dark, I couldn't sleep. I would lay down in the tub with no water and just look at the ceiling for hours and hours. It's a battle within yourself. So, you know, sometimes it wins. You know what I'm saying? People don't show that. Blacks and Latinos, uh... We're not allowed to. We're not allowed to. And uh, and that's why I tell you I went through depression, because I like to be vulnerable. I like people to know, yo, it's cool. You know, you could go through that and you could come out of that. This is Fat Joe. Fat Joe the gangster telling us this story. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, I don't think Fat Joe's ever spoken about this anywhere publicly. But to hear him, to hear him. Talk about this, you know, validate so much the importance in hip hop and the black community to men across the nation, across men of, of all sorts that we really need to pay attention and, and, and really be vigilant and um, proactive with regards to maintaining um, or achieving 
you know, mental health. Mm. And it's probably mirrors how, um, as men were evolving. Yes. That, um, you would want to hope mm. so, because I think um, what's rampant uh, uh, amongst most of us men is we don't allow ourselves to evolve. You know, we, we want to make America great. We want to, again, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We, we want to, you know, back in the, we want to bring it back to the old days when women and, and people of color knew their, their, their place. You know what I'm saying? We want, we, we want to go back to where it seemed like there was a job on every corner and like the employment, you know, the employment was at this robust, you know, like we want to bring it back to where we can invade any country with impunity. Mm. You, you know what I mean? It's this weird sense of um, um, atrophy. That, that's part of our DNA as a man, right? Like we have to fight against that. We have to be rigorous about and vigilant about fighting against that. Has your view of music sort of, how has it evolved as, you, as you've got older? I think when we're, old, when we're younger, we've, we, in, in our minds, we imagine ourselves, particularly if it's a new form of music being, you know, rock and roll or, you know, punk rock or hip hop or whatever that new craze is, you know what I'm saying? Like, like house or techno, whatever it is, you know, grunge, you know, you, 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 you feel as if you're a revolutionary, you know, you feel like this is the only, this is the, you, you're on a mission to keep things as pure as possible and as raw and as, as anti-establishment as possible, right? And then you fight this fight, you know, living with this culture that inspires your life. The few of us that are fortunate enough to maintain that marriage of our lives and our music and our culture, you know, and at a certain point, the music changes, right? And then you, it, it's not pure anymore. It's not revolutionary. It doesn't have that edge. And then you start saying, well, this music, this new music is not what we had before. This music is worthless. This music is dangerous to our way of life. And you don't realize that you're becoming an old man. <laughs> How, you know, growing up in a uh, single parent house, how, how has that influenced you as a, as a father of, of four kids? Um, you know, it, uh, I can't believe being an only child and now having four kids. And, that, you know, that in itself was a shock, you know, because uh, for the most part, I'm pretty selfish. You know, what mm. they say about only children, pretty selfish. You, got, you pretty much have to be kind of selfless with kids. Um, patience, you know, I've been very impatient throughout my life. And I find now, you know, going through, you know, my family's going through like this really pivotal moment, just really, um, really, really, really relying on, um, a deeper sense of compassion, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, for the most part, if, if my son does something stupid and like, ah, it's easy for me to, you know, to react or respond or criticize or you, you know, better than that. But, um, I find at this time, like there's a, a greater sense of patience, you know, because they're at that age that I was at, you know, 15, um, 19, and 20. They're at that age where the world is scary. You know, and I think the world is as scary as the world was in, in, the, in, the, in the 80s. We live in this, like, I mean, for them, my 10-year-old daughter, for example, she's stressed out. She's like, um, Dad, are we going to experience segregation again? At what point will we all die because of climate change? This is a 9-year-old girl. At 10 years old in Australia, were you even considered with global no. politics? <laughs> no, I had no, no, I, 
would have struggled to know who the Australian Prime Minister of course, was. Of course, of course. <laughs> Little alone the US President and even contemplating that that person has some sort of impact on on my life. Right. So, yeah. My kids went to the best private schools. I, you know, they're, they're very spoiled. You know, they've, you know, at, at 20, 19 and 15, my sons have never had a fight, which to me is like, you've never had a fist mm. fight? Like, <laughs> what? I guess we're doing something right. You know, recently, like over the past four years, like, like, dad, like what happened to Trayvon? What happened to Michael? What happened to, to Eric? And then just the realization, like, dad, are they killing us? And having to be that far, father figure to each and every one of them, you know? So have you sat down with your boys and had that chat with them you around? Know, I've had that chat with my kids when they were two or three. Before mm. this thing became cliche, before this thing became visible. I like, you know, if, if you're, if you're well-versed, if you're aware in America, particularly if you're African-American, you know what the fuck, can I curse? Yeah, of course. You know what the fuck is going on, even though the rest of society may ignore you and say, no, you know, those, you already know the story. And have you tried with your sons to, to really encourage them to, you know, to come to you if there's issues and to show their vulnerabilities? You know, um, early on in life, like um, my two eldest sons are so close in age, 14 months apart, and they would fight. And then one of them would say, Daddy, it's not fair. And the other one would say, it's not fair. And I'd be like, son, sit down. Life is not fair. And they're like, what? I'm like, life is not fair. So at an early age, I was drilling this in. Mm. And and now, you know, know, girlfriend issues, you know, they're, you know, two in college, you know, they're experiencing life. You know, one of my, my eldest son, particularly, you know, when this whole emergence of Black Lives Matter, hmm. um, you know, when that emerged, it really affected his life. And, you know, and so I tell my sons all the time, like, yeah, I'm your dad, you know, like, you guys are going to hide things from me. And I respect that because that's what we do. But at the same time, if there's something that's really crucial, if there's something that's really important, if there's something that you feel, you know, you're missing, that, that that's, that's not allowing you to be complete, please feel free Hmm. to tell me. And what I've done at the same time is there's issues in my personal life that I, you know, may have not felt comfortable, you know, being totally transparent with my children. But I'm like, if this is going to be a trusting relationship where they feel they can come to me, then I should be able to lead by example and come to them. Your father is not perfect. Your father is fucked up a lot, Hmm. you know, and it's okay. You know, not it's okay that I fucked up, but it's okay that I can take accountability and then I can vow to do better so that you guys will be far better than me. You, you know what I mean? So I've sh- I share that with my kids a lot. That's, that must be so empowering for them to I don't to know it. what it's like for them. <laughs> you know, I don't... And, and they mightn't fully appreciate it right now, but right. I'm, I'm sure they will yeah, in I mean, time. I mean, not to put everything out there, but one of my sons recently was like, Dad, um, I got a lot of weed. And I've got some money issues. Can you help me move it? I was like, wait, 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 wait. We're not going to do that. You know, but thank it's you. It's stretching a little far. But thank you mm. for sharing that with me. Yeah, that's powerful, You actually. know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're not going to do that, but thank you. Yeah, that that shows the level of trust yeah. that, that you have in, so, right? Is in it that right? relationship. Yeah. yeah, or maybe he thinks I'm stupid enough to help him move <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Your family, you're, you're going through a tough time. Yes, I am. Now. I'm going through a divorce, yes. Mm. And that in and itself is a huge transition. Yes. I mean, and, they, I've read, I read years ago um, in some magazine article that the most difficult thing a man in Western society can go through above illness, 
above loss of life of their closest, dearest ones is a divorce. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Yes, it is. The, the Lottie experience, what you've learned along this, this journey, how has that equipped you better to, you know, stay mentally well and, and sort of level? Well, initially through the process, um, I went to see a therapist. And he was just so, so supportive, like, you know, just so supportive in terms of, like, resources that I should read and just, you know, you know, what I was going through was not abnormal, you know, and we tend to look at, you know, divorce as a death in itself, like we, the death of a family, the death of, you know, someone that we knew and lived with for, you know, some odd years. And so even though I knew that what I was going through was not okay, you know, just the aid of therapy helped me to realize that I was okay. And then, you know, as I started getting comfortable uh, sharing this with, with other people, I shared with my eldest brother, my, my eldest half-brother, um, who himself, you know, has um, been divorced and is, you know, in a, in a very happy, thriving, healthy marriage right now. And it was something very simple that he said, because I was, you know, really, like, uh, insecure in terms of sharing that, you know, unsure. And I was like, um, you know, I'm going through a divorce. And he was like, in the most calmest voice most reassuring voice. And I don't know why it's so simple. He's like, well, Reggie, you won't be the first and you won't be the last. And I don't know what it was about that that was like, <sighs> this weight was just lift. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so yeah, like I won't, I'm not the first and I won't be the last. So, okay, I can, I can make it to the other side. Mm. So last question, there, there will be some men listening to this podcast that will be... Hopefully. <laughs> yes, I hope a lot around yeah. the world. Um, that'll be struggling with some sort of a transition, whether it's a career transition like you went through or a divorce or potentially with their kids. Um, what, what advice would you have to a man that is that is challenged in one of those transitional moments? I mean, you know, I, I would say this. What's helped me a lot, um, and when someone comes to me, you know, um, man, woman, and they, they're at this juncture. And they're like, I need to to find a change. Like, the first thing I ask them is like, as much as we're um, anchored to this physical world, like, what's your spiritual practice? And I'm not talking about your religion. Hmm. Like, what's your spiritual practice? Are you active in a daily basis on, you know, just, just finding comfort and strength and wisdom and, and reassurance and this other thing? that we can't touch. But if we're, if we're in tune, you really see that it plays such a huge role in our daily physical active lives. You know, do you meditate? Do you chant? Do you find some time to pray? You know, I think we have this, 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 this view, like if we go to our synagogues or our mosques or our churches or our temples once a week, we're good. Where it's like, no, every day, like what's your active spiritual practice you know like jay-z says on a new album you know jay-z says something really subtle to to beyonce he's like yo b the spiritual shit really works you know what i mean and that's been my that's been my experience that's been my life like what are you going beyond you know how are you on a daily basis taking a leap of faith and going into the unknown so that when you come back the known is that much more secure and happier for you you know definitely definitely 
Um, you know, we live in an age right now. I think one of the greatest phenomena that we've experienced in pop culture over the past 15, 20 years was the Sopranos. Tony Soprano, you know, like alpha male, unquestionably alpha male. But what made him this great character was every week his sessions with Dr. Melfi, you know, his, 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 his psychiatrist. And that broke the mold because that chipped away at like what masculinity is, hmm. you know, and, and who do we open up to and, and when do we realize that we need help? And a lot of us, I think if we live in modern day society, I mean, particularly here in the States, if you live in the United States, I think all of us need some form of therapy because it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of trauma that we definitely go through on a daily basis from, from the moment where, you know, indoctrinated into like the schooling system. Hmm. You know, it's a lot of trauma and we take it for granted. There's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. You know, find, find a group of friends um, that you can talk to and you feel safe. Um, that you won't be judged. You know, as a matter of fact, push and find friends that you can tell them the most outlandish, most private things about yourself. And you'll still find a, a safe place. Read. There's so many resources out there. Like, just delve into, like, mm. delve into it. It's, it. it's real. It is real. Yeah, and it, it's so important for for the men out there that are going through this to, to heed your advice. Um, but for all the other men and women that know someone's going through a key transitional moment, divorce, um, retirement, becoming a new dad, whatever it is, to be listening to often what you don't hear, which is men start to isolate themselves when they're struggling. And if we you haven't isolate ourselves, that's what we do. Yeah, we that's that's like that's like our life path. We go out there, we conquer the world. Maybe we didn't conquer the world as much as 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 as, as successful as we thought we was, and then after that, we uh, we start to detach, and then we feel comfortable in our lazy boy in front of our TV with our remote in one hand and our beer in the other, and that becomes the rest of our lives. Mm. Yeah, so if you do know someone that's going through one of these transitional moments, it's so important just to reach out and, and contact them and, and get them out and in a space where they'll feel comfortable having a chat about the real stuff going on in their life. And uh, Reggie, thanks so much for joining us here at the, uh, the Movember podcast. Now, thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to the Movember podcast and thanks to the Movember team, John Ackerman and Kirsty Wood. Music featured in this episode is from Poddington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions and the Free Music Archive. Mixing by Dara Hirsch. The Movember podcast is produced and edited by Rose Reed. If you like the show, share it with your friends and rate us on iTunes. It really helps other people find us. I'm your host, Adam Garoni. Tune in next week for more candid conversations about transitions. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.